0: Hi, this is and welcome to Reasonable and Necessary, Australia's period podcast series on everything you ever wanted to know about the National Disability Insurance Scheme. I'm your host, Dr George Talaphoris. On today's episode, we're talking about health and the NDIS. The NDIS was never intended to replace health services. However, the interface between health and disability is complex and it's not always clear what is a health need and what is disability need. So to help us work through the tricky interface, we are joined by Kathy Lucholo, clinical practice lead at the Summer Foundation. Hi, Kath.
1: Hi, George. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So, Kath, let's start
0: with this really key question and that is how do we distinguish between a disability need and a health need according to the NDIS? Yeah
1: um, and I was thinking about this that it's it's probably easier to talk about the conflict in the Middle East sometimes than this topic because it is so complicated. Um, so I think the, the first thing is that the NDIS talks about it that a health, it's a health need versus a disability support. So they even change the language there that they always talk about a support when it's in, related to them rather than a need. Um, and I think the, that the obvious answer is a health need is related to a health condition or someone's um, basic health, whereas a disability support need is related to their disability
0: okay. and yeah. So um, part of that is to say that you can have a disability and have a range of health needs yeah. and at the same time you can have a disability and not have very many health needs at all. Yeah. So when it comes to understanding the difference um is it really about saying that my disability is identified in my plan as a particular thing diagnosis yeah and that all that stuff will be supported by the ndis or is it more complicated than that
1: yeah it is more complicated than that that's right so um you know as you know so do to get onto the ndis you need To um, have a disability, but then if we just think about the supports, it's it's thinking about what is the support, and then what can you attribute that support to? Is it because do you need that support because of a health condition, or do you need it because of your disability? And sometimes. a good way to do that is to think about what's the purpose of the support. So if the if you think of a wheelchair, so um, someone may break their leg and then um, they need a wheelchair and you start to think, well, they need that wheelchair um, because they've got limited functional capacity, but it's time limited, it's not permanent. Um, it's because of a fracture, which is a health condition. Um, and it's recovery orientated when you break your leg, you know you've got six to eight weeks and then you won't need that wheelchair again. So the NDIA wouldn't fund that support because they see that as a health condition. Whereas if you had um, say a paralysis down one side of your body and you needed a wheelchair then the other way you could think about it is well that paralysis is permanent um, it limits your capacity to to get around in your day to day life and you need that wheelchair to live in the community and live at home and that's going to help you do your daily living tasks then the NDIS would fund that because it's related to that permanent
0: functional disability. Okay, so what I'm hearing is that it's that a lot of it is related to whether or not it's ongoing. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Okay. Well what about, you know, let me let me make it a bit more complicated. Go for it. What if I had diabetes? Yeah, I knew you were gonna say that. Uh yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, that diabetes is now, you know, something which I have lifelong. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah obviously there's diet three Factors that essentially, my diabetes does limit my ability to do certain things. Mm -hmm. Talk me through how, as a, you, let's say you're a a very, uh, how should I say this, half NBS bureaucrat, Mm -hmm. and I've come to you I've diabetes. It's lifelong. It impacts on my ability to function. how would the respond and so what what's
1: your support need what do you need you might need insulin yeah so, yeah so that you're talking about the support need there mm-hmm. so
0: but I I also need help with um you know being able to um, organize my diet because yeah. you know like because of my diabetes it's quite mm. difficult to necessarily have the energy always to and to look after my house mm.
1: so there's uh, do, you, do you think you're already a participant have you been are no, you no, talking no, about no. eligibility in the first yeah, place yeah, yeah. yeah it's complicated isn't it yeah and I get confused about this so that's why I'm I think it's helpful to try and separate it out of are you talking about el- eligibility or you're already eligible and are you talking about now you want to support?
0: Can we start with eligibility first? Yeah, so you can give that a go. That I'm not eligible. I, I haven't been, yeah. I haven't tested my eligibility. Yeah, right. So I'm here to test it.
1: Okay, we will try. So uh, the first thing um, with I think about is so you're presenting with a health condition, um, diabetes. And then if you move through, um, we've got a fabulous new resource that I'll just plug here on the Summer Foundation website um, that goes through looking at the language that we use and that health um, staff might use. So the health condition would be diabetes. And if you think about then the impairment, what is it um, that's the, you know, in really medical terms, the loss of function? So you're saying it's hard for you to do...
0: Well, to find the energy because my dad needs um, to yeah, do a lot of my housework. I often do Um and I also need help to go to doctor's appointments. Yeah,
1: so the NDIS would say um, first there are all those things permanent. Um, or is the di- and is the diabetes permanent? Well, that, that goes without saying, but is the impairment... So will, you always, will that fatigue always be there? Um, will whatever's stopping you from being able to do your shopping, if, it, if it's the fatigue, is that a permanent thing? Um, so they start there and then look at what does that fatigue related to your diabetes stop you from doing in your everyday life? So you're saying shopping is hard, and then you need the NDIA would say is that limit? Um, so your ability, your difficulty with shopping, is it extreme, um, or is it moderate? Probably is a moderate to severe in again medical terms. Mm-hmm. So if you know, and we're kind of just working through this, but what I would guess is if um, it's a Mild difficulty, if, if you know your health are going to say this is a mild difficulty, then the NDIA wouldn't look at funding that. Mm. But if it's really impacting on your life, um, then they're more likely to.
0: Yeah, and this goes back to the NDIS Act, doesn't it? Yes. That defines a disability yep. as lifelong, yep. permanent, and yep. um, severe impact on daily activities. So, this would be the test, wouldn't that? Yeah,
1: that's right. And that's why you, you can't, like, it's really simple that you kind of could say, well, diabetes is a health condition, so anything related to that is not the responsibility of the NDIS, it's all health. But but the NDIS is about, it, it shouldn't be about um, diagnosis or labels, it's about what they say, how you participate in life um, at that level. So, um, your daily activities, community, your ability to, you know, the worst social and economic participation. It's at that, that end of the spectrum, not at the health impairment end. So it shouldn't really matter what your condition or disability is.
0: OK, so there's not a magical list of, of impairments or conditions. There's no list that says this is a disability, or this is a health condition?
1: Um, no, there's a list. Uh, so again, this is where we've got to be clear. So we're talking about eligibility. Yeah. There's a list of conditions that mean um, they've said, if you're, um, the condition that you've got is on this list, we think your participation is affected enough that you're eligible for the NDIS. Um, so some examples are cerebral palsy, um, intellectual disability, spinal cord injury, but all at high, you know, moderate to severe levels is, is the way they term it. Um, but there isn't a list of, yeah, support, well actually no that's not true, so there is a list of supports then if you talk about Sarah so you're already eligible, um, there's the COAG principles, so people can Google that, COAG principles NDIS, where they go through saying, these are the types of supports that the NDIS is responsible for funding, and these are the types of supports that health's responsible for funding.
0: And is that the interface? Is it it basically um, where we recognise that um, sometimes it's not that clear that that as a, as a person with a disability there may be a range of things that I need and that some of them are responsibility for the health system some of them are responsibility for the, the NDIS and then some of them might be a bit of one and a bit of the other.
1: Mm. Yeah the grey. Yeah. Yeah absolutely and that's the you know that's the trick with the principles isn't it that some things are really clear so it says um, health is responsible for diagnosing treatment rehab um, time limited early intervention so all those sorts of words and the NDIS is responsible for maintenance um, small incremental gains um, things that are related to your day-to-day activities so it but it's all the stuff in the middle, isn't it? that's sort of you know, when you're talking um, uh, oxygen pulse, som- pulse meters, or whatever they're called, and some of the stuff that's some of the decisions that have gone through to the AAT, the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, about this interface are really interesting to look at.
0: Yeah, and that pulse oximeter. Uh, that's the word. Um, case was interesting because yeah. um, it came back as saying that that person, um, yes, and um, may have needed that because of their disability, but it was their responsibility of the health system yeah. to respond. So I, I think that does um, help, mm. Mm. Um, but it also reminds us that it's not necessarily that easy to always know no. what falls in what area. I know that the NDIS tend to use terms like maintenance supports as being within their domain, Mm -hmm. and that for health, it's things like diagnosis and treatment. Is that another way to help to understand the difference? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, definitely. Um, and, And, you know, even that's tricky and gets confusing for, for all of us. Um, the, the One thing that I've found really helpful from that, say, that decision is that um, they you ask yourself is what, I'm, what I need, what my support is, um, if I don't have it will I end up back in hospital? And if the answer is yes, then it's probably a health-related, a health need rather than a disability need. Um, Mm -hmm. And another question...
0: Can I challenge that one?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. So, if I don't have pressure care on my dad, I will end up with a pressure sore that will end up in the hospital. Mm -hmm. But pressure care is the responsibility of the NDIS. So maybe that doesn't apply in that case. Yeah, and that's what...
1: And um, it's the same... There's that list, isn't there? Um, PEG feeding, so in the COAG principles it lists actually specific oral suctioning. So actually that's probably a good example, so it ended up in the AAT that health should pay for the oral suctioning equipment but um, it's if you look at the COAG principle then the NDIS might pay for somebody to actually perform that Mm -hmm. function because Um, the person's disability is limiting them in being able to do that themselves.
0: It it reminds me of how complex it is. So you can't say that suctioning, which is around managing someone's locations, is only the responsibility of of the the NDIS because it's a piece of medical equipment. And in that sense, it's the responsibility of the health system. Mm. And add to that, Mm. people with disabilities are living in the community, so they need the NDS funding to pay for that, because it's it's in their own home. If we all lived in hospitals, heaven forbid, then it might be the health system's responsibility. And this is where the confusion...
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, I think it's where all the historical stuff comes into it that that um, we were speaking before about, we, you know, people don't think of themselves carving themselves up into different, you know, so the systems need to make boundaries and this is what the NDIS is going to pay for and this is what health's going to pay for, but people don't think of themselves that way. And then historically... Um, There probably has been some flexibility, so in the old days if you had your ISP, um, Individual Support Plan funding, maybe that would pay for the equipment and the person to do it. Whereas now we're starting the new world and that because of um, the NDIS and the principles and what's been agreed to, they're starting to split it back up again. So you've got you know equipment versus who uses the equipment suddenly is really important, whereas it used to just be all together.
0: Yeah, that's right. So it's, it's becoming even more important to empower yourself to understand the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know that you have um, a lot of expertise around the um brain area from your work. Um, I know this is especially important um, for people with um, acquired brain injury because you know, they end up in hospitals yeah. and then to get out of hospital, often their support needs are around rehabilitation. So where does rehabilitation sit? Is that NDIS or health? Yeah, um, so the again that COAG principle says it's health
1: um, and makes that very clear so um, you know I've seen in a, a plan come back and it says the physio has said in their report that um, the person is still making gains would benefit from rehabilitation and they need this this and this in terms of a few pieces of equipment and the NDIS has come back and said that's fantastic we're not paying for that because you use the word rehab in my words, um, yeah. So it's very clear that anything to do with rehabilitation is health and anything, as you said before, um, but we went off on another tangent, In anything to do with maintenance is more the NDIS's field.
0: Well, this gets very complicated, doesn't <laughs>
1: it? It keeps going.
0: Yeah, <laughs> because, well, I'm just that for someone who uh, has a, 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 you know, acquires a disability, that rehabilitation can be a lifelong process and add to that the fact that they might need their NDIS funding to support things like um, therapy. We know that here in Victoria there was a very successful Slow to Recover program that was largely disability funded and we are seen those programs no longer mm. available to people. Is health coming to the party? Is it filling the void? Mm,
1: no. <laughs> and it and it, and it, uh, it, never did. Like, and I suppose if we talk about Victoria, why um, the slow recovery Recover program started here was because there was that huge gap of community-based functionally based, how we all you know, in the sector know that rehab should be done is in the person's context, their real life, um, that's, that's the best way to do it. And there was a real gap there, so then the Slow to Recover program um, worked beautifully to fill that gap so people could leave hospital, go home, but keep having rehab. Um, and you're right, we would, so the, to me um, the, that's this split between the NDIS and health in terms of rehab is, is really sad in lots of ways because it's going back towards that medical model that we all fought for so many years to get rid of. So the medical model said you had your injury, you had your ABI, and then um, if you imagine a graph that goes up really steeply as you quickly recover, and that's where all your therapy is. And then you get to the two-year mark and suddenly it all plateaus um, on the graph. And and the thinking was, well, whatever you're at at two years, that's as good as you're gonna get. And so a whole bunch of us um, here and around the world really said, we just don't think that that's true and rehab doesn't stop at two years. That's, a, that's an old medical model. Um, and so now when I look at the principles and um, and, I, and I get that there has to be some kind of way to um, manage the funding. And so there have to be some kind of barriers or, but it's, it does really not sit very well with all of us thinking that rehab goes for years and years and years and years. So it's, but, but I would say, definitely don't write that when you're trying to get NDIS to fund, um, in their words, the capacity building, the allied health, the disability support workers to keep supporting someone to keep um, developing their skills. You wouldn't use the rehab word there.
0: Oh, okay. So um, I'm hearing you say that 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 we need to be smart in how we present our situation. Um, what I'm hearing is you're saying that there is a bit of an, an art that needs to be um, developed in terms of allied health, yeah. developing the kind of language that will explain a person's needs in disability language. How do you do that?
1: Well, you would go onto our website, George, and find a beautiful new uh, resource called Getting the Language Right, written for health practitioners, um, and you can look at that. Okay,
0: Getting the Language Right, and that's on the South Foundation website?
1: Yes, yes, um, yeah, and it's, um, it is an art, and so the, the first thing I'd say is that lots of people, again, well in Victoria and say New South Wales, lots of um health people will have worked in the TAC, will have worked with lifetime care, will have worked with work cover and so um, the NDIS is an insurance model and lots of it's based on those um, similar programs that it's in that way it's not that different so we've all had to adapt how we've written um, reports or written information to meet the needs of the funding body. So I think when you start to feel, it's so easy to quickly feel overwhelmed with the NDIS that try and remind people, you know, we've all done this before and it will take a long time to get used to it. But once you've written that first report, then you've kind of in the groove of it and you can keep using that um, for all different people and adapting it to the individual person. So the common language um, art, you're right, is about, we need health uh, to keep being really great at describing the health condition, because that's what we're good at, and really great at describing the impairment, but you need to pop in the word permanent because that's to meet the legislation to be eligible. And then we all have to get much better, I think, at talking about how that impairment affects somebody's day-to-day life and even more importantly how does that permanent impairment say a memory problem affect how that person is as a dad with their family with their friends getting a job in their real life because that's what's most important
0: yeah and listen to you it reminds me a lot of the uh social model and medical model divide in that um, for a long time, the medical model was really uh, at the forefront in people with disabilities lives and saying you know what's wrong with you what kind you know yeah. what is it that you'' wrong with your body and yeah. very focused on the body. Yeah, yeah. The social model was far more interested in the environment mm-hmm. or the way you face um, barriers mm-hmm. in terms of Interacting with the environment. So it seems like maybe some allied health professionals could benefit from thinking more under the social model and consider environmental and and social factors.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I'd say it's kind. Of, we've got to do it all because you can't also. Um, Like your diabetes, um, the example you were saying before is a great example, so if you just put in um, I have trouble, um, I feel really tired and I've got lots of fatigue and that means I have difficulty going shopping, you couldn't just write that, could you? You have to write, which is because of a permanent impairment that I've got which severely limits my capacity. Because of how the the legislation's written for the NDIS, so you can't just the broken leg is another example. You can't the broken leg is incre you know very um, difficult, and it does mean you've got difficulty day to day if you need to use a wheelchair or crutches. But it's not a permanent thing, and so that's what the NDIS is all about.
0: I'm thinking in terms of the um, allied health people who are listening there. They yeah, obviously you don't go to the Sun Foundation website they really are. right away and download these. And really have some amazing resources, not just around the, um, the language of help, but there are other ones as well. and What are the other ones that people can look at?
1: I happen to have them here, George. Um, so the one that's really relevant is getting ready for NDIS planning. Um, and you mentioned planning earlier. So this is a great uh, new resource. Um, part of our DHHS project and why it's really relevant is that it's a booklet where you look at what are my health needs, um, what's okay at the moment about in relation to those needs, what could be better and then you go through all your different support needs so self-care, health and well-being, having a little look house and home all the different areas of your life you think about what do i need what's good at the moment what could be better and then it helps you say well that's probably sounding like a support need that the ndis might be able to fund or that's sounding more like a health need that health will need to fund so you can take this booklet into your planning meeting having thought about all those things
0: absolutely absolutely well, thank you, Cass. I mean, right. any final words of wisdom or bits of advice for our listeners, apart from going to the website, summerfoundation.org.au, and clicking on the resources? Is there anything else you'd recommend?
1: Um, I think it's just thinking about the support that you need and asking yourself uh, a bunch of questions which might be things like, what does this having the support mean you can do in your everyday life? How can it help you live in the community and at home? How will that support help you to be with family, friends, go out, do do anything that you want to do? Um, will that the support mean that you can work or study or volunteer or do a hobby that if you can answer those kinds of questions around the support that you're asking for, there's more likelihood that the NDIS will fund that. And if you're thinking, this support helps me, yeah, actually keeps me alive, helps me manage my health, if I don't have this, I'll end up back in hospital, then that's sounding more like a clinical health need.
0: Absolutely, and people also remember that the NDIS was never intended to solve all of our problems <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and so we need to recognise that uh there are things that we need to actually advocate for that are health health department matters that That's we right. should definitely um uh up, advocate for ourselves around those needs and not expect that the nds will, will solve all of our problems yeah yep exactly thanks for your time please. no right, thank you
1: too thanks
0: that's all we have time for on today's episode of Reasonable and Necessary, brought to you by the Summer Foundation. Don't forget, you can follow us on our Facebook page, Building Better Lives, where you'll find all previous podcasts and transcripts. Well, sadly, this is that's it for this second season of Reasonable and Necessary. Please keep your eyes open for season three. I'm Dr. George, and until next time, Stay well and reasonable.